This is Johnny Laser, and my guest today is NYSA member Robert Swarth, who's joining us from his home in New York City. He is a two-time Academy Award nominee, one for his animated short, Kick Me, released in 1975, and the other as visual effects co-nominee for Star Trek, the motion picture. Now, that was a creative title, right? Anyway, it was the first in that successful movie franchise. Now, uh, first big question. Uh, where were you born and raised? No, no, I was... I was rubbing the, the my cable. It should, it should be okay now. Yeah, don't don't rub your cable. Good thing we don't have the camera on because you know that gets people in trouble. So I'm going to ask you the question one more time. Uh, where were you born and raised? I was born in Los Angeles, uh, California, and uh, the hospital I was born in is now the Church of Scientology, <laughs> and, and they've painted this gigantic hospital robin's egg blue, and they have a big Scientology sign on it. I was born decades before that. I see you're not taking responsibility for them. Uh, now, what attracted you? What attracted you to film in the first place? Well, I was when I was a little kid. I was in, I loved movies. I always loved movies, and uh, so it was no big deal. You you went to the kitty matinee every Saturday for fifteen cents. You saw ten cartoons and a serial and a feature. We did that religiously. You know, every Saturday morning. Uh, this was all before they had those on television. This is, goes back quite a ways. Do you recall what the first movie was that ever inspired you? Well, I saw Singing in the Rain when it was originally released. And uh, our whole family went to the movies all the time when we were kids. The whole family did. And, and there were in, and in Los Angeles, there were these encore theaters that ran double bills of classic films. They didn't call them classic films. They were just old films. But, you know, we saw, I saw Citizen Kane. How, how old was I? I was, I was a teenager, early teens. And I didn't know what the hell was going on. Uh, it was just way beyond me. I mean, I've seen it you know, probably a hundred times since then. I loved that movie. But the films I loved were science fiction and uh, comedy. And uh, so I was, I was uh, in 1953 when the 3D movies started playing in, uh, in that era, the House of Wax, all that. The whole family went to see Buona Devil. Uh, in the theater, you know, with our Polaroid glasses. I, I loved, uh, you know, I don't know where I first saw George Melies' films, you know, the but uh, I found a book at, at, at the Marion Hunter bookstore in Beverly Hills, and it showed how he did it, and I started making uh, eight, my, when I found out that the family had an eight millimeter home movie camera, you know, oh, can I, can I have that? Uh, and, uh, so I started doing my own trick films, which all, which were all the kind of thing where you photograph somebody, and then you stop the camera, and they go away, and then you start the camera again. So it looks like they disappeared. And I did a lot of things like that. And I did, then I started learning about what stop motion was. And this is all eight millimeter, you know. And I, and when I got into high school, they had a sixteen millimeter camera, so I was able to, you know, do more things uh, that way. And you know, by that time, I knew the only, you know. The only college I, you know, place I, I had to go to a school that had a film department, and the only in L.A. it was either USC or UCLA. USC was and still is really heavily wired into the uh, motion picture industry, you know, and that that's where George Lucas, you know, went and a number of others. Uh, UCLA, uh, our most famous member of the uh, UCLA film department was Francis Coppola. 
And when I was a freshman at UCLA, you have to work on as a crew member on the upperclassmen student films. And I was a grunt on Francis Coppola's uh, magnum opus, not, not the feature that he made. This was a student, a 20 minute student film. And uh, no, so I was lugging cameras around and track tra stuff like that. And you know, this was interesting. I, I, I then worked for Francis a few decades later and I mentioned that to him, and he didn't react at all. So, <laughs> what do you think the uh, the biggest advantage of going to film school was, other than lugging around, other than being a, a production assistant for a, a Coppola? The production assistant is too grand a term. I said grunt, and I meant it. I mean, it, it, I was sitting up in the in the catwalk. We had one little soundstage at UCLA at the time. This was all; these were all buildings that had been. World War II barracks buildings and, and which they and I guess offices whatever that they'd moved on to the campus at UCLA and made them into into the film department but I, I but he was his his film was about a sculptor who and he's he, and when he's sculpting there's dust flying all over the room and I'm up in the in the catwalk with the you know we're turning the lights on and you know moving stuff around and we're just getting dust all over us it was just horrendous but uh I, the thing is, he it was a very ambitious student film, so I saw I learned an awful lot just by being able to be there. You know, it, not because anybody taught me anything, but uh, one of the major uh, reasons to stay at UCLA in those years there was this little war going on called the Vietnam War, and I was I was one A, and but I had a draft deferment for four years of you know undergraduate at UCLA so but all the time me and my friends were going through the, all that the war just got bigger and worse and worse and worse and I wasn't going to run away to Canada or anything like that uh, I was very lucky to get into the Navy Reserve uh, and uh, eventually I served in the Navy Reserve but in the Navy it, the, the Office of Information in Washington, D.C., where I was editing, we, they weren't, the, these films were public information films. They weren't, uh, and they, they were, these were films that ran at, you know, three in the morning on, you know, they were the television stations. It, uh, but we did, but some of them are still on, there's a military channel on somewhere on, on cable of somewhere, and they, I see them every once in a while, uh, they're on there, the ones that, some of the ones I did. But did you get accredited in no. those? Well, we made two versions of the titles, one with our names on it and one without. And so, but we never saw our names on television on the on that. Uh, I had uh, prints of all of the ones that I did, which are now sitting safely at the Academy Film Archive in Los Angeles. Did you leave school to go to the Navy, or you finished? Uh... No, no, no. I well, I four years undergraduate, and the war is still going on, and. I went to grad school. I two years in grad school, and while I was in the reserves, and for the first year you you go to meeting. Oh no, first two years you go to meetings, then your active duty is for two years, and then two years more of meetings. So I went through all that. But uh, we went uh, the basic training. I, I I wish I could tell the stories as well as I've told them to people. I mean, basic training for me, you know, it was like a toy basic training. Yet it was one month, and that was it. And it was actually two 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 week basic trainings, but I I just you could take one one year and another two weeks the next year. I just took all four weeks in one time. 
first time in my life I'd been around uh, people that you know from all different walks of life but the thing is so many of us were college students or, or uh, they were all high school graduates so they couldn't pull any of these you know tricks on us you know like you know your little grunt kind of people that they, and in the Navy education was a big deal and I, I love to say this when I when I got when I got my orders to go to Washington DC to, to work in the uh, the Office of Information, the Navy Office of Information. My commanding officer was a wonderful man, Lieutenant Howell, and he was the perfect example of how what the Navy can do and what you for you. He was a deck seaman, you know, like he joined when he was a teenager from Alabama. He had a thick Southern accent. He joined the. He was a deck seaman. He, I, they. They, they must have seen something in him. They sent him to USC because the Navy had a deal with USC's film department. And he graduated from USC Phi Beta Kappa and became an officer. At which from And when I knew him, he was a lieutenant. When he retired, he retired as a lieutenant colonel. But this was the lo loveliest man in the world. You know, I, was, I, I just can't tell you how lucky I was to be uh, have him as my commanding officer. Uh, it was quite something, but I say the, but you didn't you know you had to all the it was the, the education part of the navy if you needed it. I mean this was a, an example of somebody who started went in as a teenager and came out a really wonderful man, human being and uh, he, he owes it to the navy and they got their money's worth out of him. Now so so he now in in what regards was he involved with you then? He was the he was the commanding officer of. Of my the film unit that I was in, I was I was at the chief of information Chinfo, so the Chinfo film unit, and he was the, in, he was the the uh, commanding officer of that unit. It sounds grander than it is, but uh, no, well, well, that that was that's a great answer to my question about what you got out of uh, film school. What you got out of film school was not having to go into, on a ship in the navy. <laughs> yeah, well, I could have gone to any school, but. but but I want. But the, the the thing is, my parents definitely. I was definitely going to go to college, no matter what I wanted to do in life. And uh, so, but the film was what I always wanted. So that was, it worked out okay. So that ended up being the big advantage, basically, of, of having that experience, because then you were able to go out into something that, it, at least, kept you out of harm's way, primarily, right? Yeah. Well, I I said if they if they if I hadn't gotten into that film unit, uh, if they'd shipped me, if they if they'd I'd gotten orders to be shipped to Vietnam. I think I did. Actually, we could talk about this forever. I did get orders when I was when I was first put on active duty. I wasn't automatically on active duty and going to this film unit. I was on active duty, and I had gotten orders for a minesweeper to be on a minesweeper, yeoman on a minesweeper. And then I, this was I was I was in Long Beach Naval Air Station at the just Long Beach Naval Station. And uh, well, I will say anchors away. My mother, I called my mother, and she said, "There's a phone call from this Lieutenant Howell. He found me." Yeah. Anyway, enough about the Navy. But they they had they had an Oxbury animation camera at at the Navy at the at the Navy Photo Center where I was stationed, which they never used. So, oh, can I use that? You know. So I I I, I had worked on did some of my own animation there and. Uh, uh, worked out okay I did animation for them too as well as editing film and we actually I f photographed some of one of the 
part of one of the films. There was a whole bunch of us. I, we have to go back a little farther. While I was at graduate school at UCLA, uh, I got my first job in the industry, and I was already before I before I went active in the Navy. I was uh, working for a t television commercial company doing directing animated commercials. Uh, I was not there was, and then when I left the Navy and came back, I came back to that same studio and worked there for another few years before I started. Going so freelancing. You, so basically, you were you, you were at UCLA uh, studying film and being a grunt, and on the side, somewhere along the way, you got the job with the with the TV station doing the animations, right? Is that is that the yeah the TV, I mean, commercial, a TV commercial company? company yeah. right? Do you remember any of the commercials? Oh yes, uh, well I remember everything. Yeah, no, the, my favorite the, the two my two favorite commercials. One was for Univac, and it ran. This is, uh, to, to, folks, this is how old I am. Uh, the, the, this Univac, the Sperry Rand was the corporation built Univac, which was the first real-time online information data system. But they wanted to do this commercial to put on, it was the, at that time, this was before the Super Bowl. So the Super Bowl was 55 years old. So this is commercial I'm talking about is more than 55 years old. It ran... It was a one-minute commercial, and it ran one time each for nine weeks during the NFL game of the week. That was the big deal back then, before the Super Bowl. And it was supposed to look like computer animation, but it back this was back in 1969, whenever that was, late 60s. The computer animation didn't do anything like what we were doing in this commercial but at that time it, wow this looks like some really fabulous cutting edge thing basically it was every trick i knew uh with camera trick with animation cameras and stuff uh all packed into one commercial it was very successful and the other one that i love was for chicken of the sea where the ad agency brought me the storyboard was a a long uh what do you call it like a it's a sheet of paper that was like, you know, a foot wide and about nine feet long. And it was the story of the mermaid who and how she became on the chicken of the sea can. But it was it was a scroll and and it was a scroll. And, and it was but you couldn't possibly film just pan the scroll for 60 seconds. Uh, but I, with my love of animation cameras and how to use them and doing tricks, I figured out a way to do this which broke it up into pieces, which it still looks like a scroll, but it, but the, the levels are all moving at different rates of speed. And it's all synchronized to a song, uh, the, you know, the a ballad, the ballad of the chicken of the sea. And it's just gorgeous. I love, I, I, I did not design the artwork at all. The agency did that. And so I sat there in at my animation desk and I would scribble like, okay, now put this here and put that there. And then he would draw this stuff, stuff you know, and then I'd put it all together and under camera and, it was just, and the cameraman that I used to shoot it, who was my favorite animation cameraman, uh, and I had, he's got to shoot this because nobody else could is going to have the patience for all of this. It's, it was very complicated. Uh, I don't know if you know what exposure sheets are. I had to tape like two or three exposure sheets uh, together across to, to cover. There's four different pan bars all moving at different speeds, and and there's a little I call pivot gimmicks, which I love dearly, that move rotating little spin wheels and things. It's, uh, anyway, this cameraman, 
who I worked with on a number of commercials, other things. And that was film, right? Of course, that was film. This all everything I had ever did was on film. I've never worked professionally on anything but film. Uh, anyway, uh, later on, we worked together again. Where he on Close Encounters of the Third Kind, he was the man that photographed all of the UFOs for Close Encounters, and I. I and finally, the the last major feature I worked, I worked on was The Outsiders uh, for Coppola. And they needed somebody to figure out how to shoot this fire. The church the church catches on fire in the interiors where the kids the, the rescue the children from the burning building. I figured out a way to do it. And I hired my favorite animation camera who had gone into more than just animation and to photograph it. So we got to work together on a live action shoot for, at least once that was marvelous what in film school if anything translated to real world filmmaking well it it it, it was really more for animation than live action sitting in my class in animation at ucla was a bob abel who went on to become a major maker of clio award-winning cutting-edge high-tech commercials with Graphic, animated graphics. He, he was pushing the envelope all the time. Anyway, he, uh, I got a call from him. He was he had gone on to work at a film company called Graphic Films, and they needed somebody to come in and do exposure sheets for this film that nobody wanted to work on at Graphic Films. This was all beneath them. And I said, well, Bob knows how to do that. So that's how I got my first job, and I had to join the Screen Cartoonist Guild. And uh, I don't remember how many weeks I worked, but uh, <laughs> but because I met what I'm really trying to get at is that it it for me it was a direct line from UCLA through Bob Abel to Graphic Films, and at Graphic Films is one of the people I or two of the three of the people I met there all became important to me later on. One of whom was uh, Doug Trumbull, who then went on to you know, be one of the four visual effects supervisors for 2001. He comes back and uh, our careers didn't, I, you know, join up. Actually, the, the, the person that I was responsible for getting me on the Close Encounters wasn't Doug. It was uh, one of his, uh, his, assist, his assistant. It was, that's not a big enough word for him. There's, but uh, he was an animation cameraman when I was a UCLA student. And I was there on the weekends shooting my student film on the Oxbury at, and he was over there at the other camera shooting flop, flopping cells on Charlie Brown TV specials on a, just a regular little cartoon Acme cartoon camera and I'm doing all these elaborate things on the Oxbury so he's the one that called me up and come in and you know work on close encounters so explain in, in 15 words or less an exposure sheet uh, we're all going to talk in film now. Uh, uh, there's uh, th uh, there are tw there are 24 frames per second in in uh, on fi in film. 24 frames a second. So an exposure sheet is just a ruled sheet of paper with for each one line for each frame, and you can get 96 frames on one sheet of paper. So uh, that's you know four seconds. If I if my if I can remember my animate my. Learn, well, you learned that in college. So that was a good thing. On each, each sheet, it you list on each line, uh, you know what what pieces of artwork 
are stacked on top of each other, like animation cells. Like if a background will be on the bottom, and then there'll be a, like a cartoon character might be the next one, and then the, the top, the, the third level might be a foreground object, you know, that's painted on an animation cell. That's the simplest way to describe it. And you also, if if there's synchronized sound for it, like dialogue, that's all written uh, vertically on the sheet on one side. You know, it's in sil in syllables. So the animators, if they're animating lip sync dialogue, they can uh, they see they can use that to show them how the dialogue works. Now you made that. Now do, now is that something that you you hand wrote out and then gets sent over to somebody to type out that somebody then has? No, no, it's all done. You no, know, you just do it on. You no, know, you don't type it out. No, you you fill it in and uh, it. Then when when the animation is finished and everything's done, it goes to a, a person who's called a checker and they sit there and go through it all to make sure that it, you've done everything right then it goes to camera and they the camera uses the exposure sheet to know you know how what how it has to go and uh, how it has to be shot and uh, I loved doing that I loved picking up complicated tricky ways of doing things uh, uh, that was and it's sort of it sort of it was animation but it was also sort of an effects kind of thing in a way also and i at that time remember close encounters uh star wars and close encounters were being made simultaneously and neither of them had, you know the public knew nothing about either of them uh and i just thought i've got to if i'm want to work on this film because there there never there hadn't been a science fiction film since in 10 years and I thought they're never going to, you know, and now here's Steven Spielberg who's just made Jaws and now they'll just give them anything. Uh, although there were a lot of budget problems on that, but it, they'll give, you know, so I thought, oh, this is my one chance to work on a big budget science fiction film. And it turned out that animation, the kind of animation I was doing was useful, but it wasn't the thing you were looking at except for a few the, the, my major contributions to the Close Encounters is the the musical duel between the mothership and the you know at the end where where they're uh, the guys playing the organ and and the, and the, there are lights all these light effects synchronized to the music happening on the uh, mothership that was my main thing that I did that you you would notice I uh, but there were a lot of other things that I did that are just you know they're kind of supporting kind of things which are you don't, it's not the thing you're looking at. And so, what, now, okay, how are you doing that? Now, you're, you're, you're setting it up as a director telling, you know, is he telling you, was it come as a note? How, how are you? Well, boy, uh, it's funny. Uh, no, no, Doug Trumbull would tell me what he wanted to do. And then I talked to the visual effects editor who gave me what he said was a temp track. That means it's a musical track and it, it's, they call these temp tracks, temporary music. And, and I, and I, the edit, the music, the effects editor uh, that I was working with, and this is at the Trumbull's company. And I said, and since I had a background animation, I, I said, well, you've got to give me a track reading of all where the timing of all these notes so I can synchronize my uh, uh, animation to it. And he said, this is how they, because they never let anybody see the script. You know, it was all very, and he says to me, now you well, animate your thing and they'll, they'll write something to fit what you do. Now, and I said, no, I don't think so. But you couldn't get a straight answer from anybody. But this is the whole point of the movie, is the five tones, you know, in Close Encounters. Can you believe that? And I said, no, no, I don't remember if he read, finally read the track or if I did it myself. 
you know, but uh, you, know, you call it track reading and I made up my exposure sheets with those. And then we, uh, one thing we did on close encounters, uh, we wanted to have the image quality to be as great as it could possibly be and have as few uh, duped, uh, dupes of, you know, from the original negative to a inner negative to a dupe negative and another one and all that. So we burned these effects in on the op the, the the optical negative, the first optical negative. It was and uh, directly we did not shoot these the animation. And then they put that film in the optical printer and combined it. We burned it into the original the, the optical negative, and it's incredibly precise. You know, thing. I had a wonderful animation cameraman. Uh, who have the patience of saints? Those guys, and the the, the my favorite my favorite animation cameraman on Close Encounters was a, his name is Max Morgan, and he was already uh, I don't know if he was in his 70s, but he'd been around you know since the beginning of time. It turns out if you're familiar with it, Disney's the studios first the first time they used their multiplane camera was on a movie called The Old Mill, uh, The Silly Symphony. And Max Morgan was one of the cameramen. It took four or five cameramen to operate the multiplane camera. And he went, he, so he was with Disney, and he, he'd been in the industry, you know, since that's the, thir that's the 30s. And here he is working on Close Encounters and, he, and getting, making sure that the, the animation effects that we're burning in to fit the mothership uh, are going to register, you know, not be, a, you know, they have to look like they're really on it. It's it, it the meticulousness nature of this thing. We would shoot uh, we these test footage, just and then we could develop it in a in a slop t slop tank they called it just just to get a black and white negative and we could look at it and see make sure it lined up correctly and when it did then we knew we could shoot this the effect. So it was just incredibly meticulous. And then and that and just to get that ecosystem down. Okay, so you, so they came with you with that. You did the exposure sheet. He did those shots. Now, does Trumbull look at the daily? How, how does he? We make... all look at the dailies, and when, when it's finished, yeah. Yeah, and, right. And but but who makes that decision that that's going to work? Obviously. Well, Spielberg has to. Has to he's going to. He's the one that has. He's to the one at the final. Got it. Got yeah, it. it's his film. Oh yeah. So that he makes that decision, but Trumbull at that, but obviously there's that interaction with you before it is with Spielberg, right? He wants that at what he wants, and then he brings that in, right? That that because you're on, you're basically working under his uh, department, right? Is that how that is works? Well, I mean, Trumbull I was uh, all my career, in, including that, I was almost always left alone to do do it what I wanted the way I wanted to do it. There are a lot of exceptions to that, but most of the time, and uh, I, I I met Spielberg a few times, and then you know a few years later when we did the special edition of Close Encounters, and I I was then the visual effects supervisor, so the only person I had to report to was Stephen, and. Uh, we got along just fine. It, okay, it, that's interesting. It, I think people would be interested in just understanding that how, how that flow goes, and I, and I, I you've been very clear on it. I got it. Hey, a, a quick question now. What is kick me? And uh, although I know what that's like, just on a day to day basis.
Oh.